0: In three, two, one. Today's digital economy has turned us into bullish broadcasters. We shout as if we're holding a megaphone in our hands, blasting out a multitude of messages, hoping to catch our prospects' attention. We're equally inundated with messages that yell right back, All this noise is in the name of storytelling. Stories don't compel people to buy. Conversations do. And to help us develop and implement a winning brand strategy is international bestselling author, speaker, and coach, Kate DeLeo. Well, hey, Kate, welcome to the program. We're glad to have you.
1: Thank you, Michael. I'm so excited to be here today.
0: Now, where are we talking to you from? Where are you at today?
1: I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minneapolis, great Minnesota, north.
0: we call that the Great North too. It almost makes you an honorary Canadian, as they say up in Canada. They have hockey, you've got a great football team, good sports and good baseball. It's a good town. And whenever I get there, I always enjoy myself. People are friendly, hospitable, so good spot. How'd you end up there? (laughs) You're from there or?
1: Yeah, I'm born and raised here in the Twin Cities. I traveled all over the place, but I somehow managed to come back home to Minnesota to raise my family.
0: Awesome. Hey, we're glad to have you. I'm going to have some fun today. We're going to review a little bit and talk about your book, Muting the Megaphone stop telling stories and start having conversations. Great book. And I love all things marketing. And I'm really excited about this topic as we're getting into it. So Kate, how did you end up in marketing? As a career path, you're in university and then bingo, you're now writing books on the subject. You're speaking, you're lecturing, you're working with clients consulting. How did you get here?
1: I have no idea. No, I'm kidding. Okay. So, seriously, (laughs) though, I didn't intend to pursue branding as a career. For me, what ended up happening was I had planned to do a PhD in anthropology, and specifically, I was going to study linguistic anthropology, which focuses on how language shapes culture and how culture shapes language. Okay. So, here I am in branding. It's not too far off, but it was actually from pure necessity of having to leave academia in the middle of our Great Recession and get a sales job that I actually fell into branding and I experienced the power of branding in my first sales job.
0: That's a good way to start. And I know people can listen to your story online and there's lots of videos and on your website, we'll give that information in our show notes. So we'll dive right into things. I know it's evolved. How have you seen it evolve prior to the pandemic? And Mm -hmm. has the pandemic changed anything? Like when it comes to sales, the buying process has definitely changed. And we always say we have a dysfunctional buying process because we have a dysfunctional selling process. How have you seen it change beforehand or like, where do you see it going? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. I think pre-pandemic, we still saw a lot lot of buzz around longer sales funnel pages, around really giving consumers and buyers all of the information they could possibly want and need on a single page to make a buying decision. But if you've ever gone to those pages, and they're just miles long, and it creates this sense of overwhelm. And what we saw in the pandemic is we have buyers, we have consumers, we have humans, we are already so overwhelmed. And so the less is more approach started to really rear its head in a beautiful way because what we recognize is that people do not need all of the information up front. They do not need everything in the first 30 seconds, but what they do need are three or four key specific pieces of information to opt in to then want to go deeper. And so the shift in branding and in sales has moved from megaphone marketing, where we give everybody everything to conversational sales and marketing, where we're giving people just enough to want to opt in and engage and ask the next question and the next question. And that to me is the sweet spot.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's rather than show up and throw up and here's the fire hose of how wonderful we are and our products and our services. And here's why you should choose us. It's like when I'm on an airplane and I'm sure this happens to you too, people will ask what do you do for a living? And if I say sales trainer, the conversation's over. If I say I'm an author and a speaker and podcast host, the next question is always, oh, what do you write about? Which then I'm going... Let me shape it for your business. What kind of work do you do? And then once they tell me that, then I know how to shape that back to them again. Or as that's far right. as presentation. So I think you're right. It's a matter of conversations. What's surprising to me is people don't know how to have those conversations online. Like they do personally. We're very social. Hi, how are you? But we know within a minute or two whether you're someone I want to continue to engage with or someone I'm not. So I think that's what you're saying in the from the foundation of this is that we've got to engage them in conversations and we can't be using all the old tricks and they can't be burning calories. They got to make it simple. It's got to be a simple process, right?
1: It's got to be formulaic.
0: Scalable and duplicatable, right? So we can move it. Now you call yourself a brand pragmatist. What's that mean?
1: (laughs) Michael, I am not a creative. I do not do fluff. You know what? I love when I meet incredible branding people. And I actually mean this so sincerely. Whenever I meet brand strategists that can talk about the color purple for days on end, and they are so visionary and they're so great at it. I am not that person. I'm a pragmatist in the sense that when I talk about branding, when I talk about messaging, I stand on this philosophy that your brand is the path of least resistance to revenue because I think your ability in that first 15 to 30 seconds to tell somebody, this is what we do, this is how we solve your problem, and this is how we're different. That is the stuff with that brand pitch that's going to compel your user to take the next step and convert.
0: Yeah. It's coming up with that brand pitch. And I know you focus on conversion. Conversion is the name of the game. If I get you come to the site, but you abandon the cart, exactly. you leave the site. Now from a consumer behavior point of view, and I know you study this, I heard somewhere that most people spend about 75% of the time just on page one of the website. They don't even go to page two. I don't know what the exact stats are. I'm sure you'd have that. Oh my God. They change
1: all the time, by the way. So I would have to be on it every month with Google to check those stats. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's really the right away, Hey, am I in the right place?
1: That's right. So the key is
0: to getting to the right place. You talk also about provocative messaging and why it works. Why does it work? And can you give us some examples of provocative messaging?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, first off, I want to define what I mean by provocative. Now, I will say this. I live in the land of the Midwest here in the United States, which is also the land of passive aggressive, like it's very passive aggressive. And I stick out here. And I will tell you that in my culture (laughs) where I live, provocative is not what you do you're not supposed to toot your own horn or brag about yourself. You don't want to come across like you're cocky. And I want to just state out here though, Michael, that there's a huge difference between being pretentious and provocative. The art of provocation in messaging, whether you speak it or it's in the written form is more about actually getting the person on the other side of that conversation to internally or allow to ask the next question. Really? What do you mean by that? interesting that's different so tell me more about that it's about every layer that they read or they hear that other person is naturally compelled to go down that path with you that's what provocation means
0: no i call that agitate don't irritate you want to agitate them because otherwise it's status quo and instead of the old traditional model of hi here's us here's what we do and here's why you should use us it's hi hey what's happening we think you should change here's why we might be able to help you do that right And get there, but then ask them questions that create that agitation, if you will, or provocative. You said earlier that you believe that brand is the path of least resistance to revenue. And you can achieve that with what you've termed the brand trifecta. So break that down for us.
1: Sure. So in the world of messaging or branding, so if you just think about it from pure tactics for a second, when we think about the order of operations of your content, at the very tip top of that triangle is what I call that brand trifecta. It's what you lead with in the first 15 to 30 seconds. In other words, this is your homepage language, okay? This is the beginning in the ad. This is the very top. Now that consists of three pieces. The first one is a tagline that answers the question, what do you do? The second piece is a value proposition statement that calls out, here's the pain you're experiencing. Now, here's how you can solve that pain. In other words, it's here's how we right. solve the problem. And then the third one is a set of differentiator statements, like the one, two, three big bullet points of how you're different and better than the competition.
0: When the web first came into existence, we started publishing websites. Everybody had them. Now we all buy templates. There's not a lot of new creativity. And the messaging's everywhere where there's 10 call to actions. You can end up losing that whole page. So where do businesses get it wrong? And we have a lot of entrepreneurs. We have a lot of small business owners. Mm -hmm. Where are they getting it wrong today? And what's the quickest way to fix that?
1: Yeah, so the quickest way to fix your content is to remember that based on the user's decision making process, the first pieces of information they need to hear or see before they even worry about testimonials and explainer videos and logos of who you've worked with and buttons and all the things is tell me what you do, tagline, tell me how you solve my problem, value proposition statement, and tell me how you're different, differentiator statements. Now, on a website, because I built websites for over a decade, How that lays, let me just explain. So you have what's called the fold of the page, which is really all the content before you start to scroll. I always recommend that you need to have your tagline and your value proposition statement above the fold of the page. It's really the compelling content that's going to want to bring somebody into the next layer of detail. Then as people scroll down on that homepage, I want to see differentiator statement. And those could be with like iconography. You could have photos next to each one. It could be scrolling. It could be boom. Doesn't matter depending on your layout. Then work into the how it works explainer video and the testimonials and the buttons to go deeper. That is the biggest thing we want to focus on. Do not mess that order up. Because if logically you try to throw logos at somebody, when they first see the website, they're going, wait, what? I don't even know what you do yet. What do I care who you worked with if I don't even know what you do?
0: And people are guessing, I've seen some beautiful websites and yet you're like, what is this? What's the product? That's a good example of what you're talking about. So we have one of our marketing websites that we use for our digital solutions that we provide for different clients under our Rainmaker Digital Solutions, also sponsored to our show, is that big tagline that you were talking about is we help clients get more clients. Really simple. And then right underneath it, it's identify, connect, engage, and grow. We'll help take your sales and marketing to the next level, blah, blah, blah. And here's how we do it. So following your advice on it, yes. you know exactly what I do by just reading above the fold. And the above the fold term came from those who remember newspapers. The headline was always around newspapers. So we don't see those anymore. And that's where that comes from. That's the title. That's the attention grabber. And then what you're talking structurally is we get in and we're going, hey, this is what we do. Our value proposition. You want to keep it short and sweet, I'm assuming.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So a value proposition statement. And I talk a lot about this in my book, but it's really two short phrases or sentences kind of pulled together. Yep. And then that's it. You're not needing to do a paragraph of content there.
0: This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C, and B2B companies gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we will also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Kate DeLeo. You like formulas and we're both familiar with, we've talked about StoryBrand with Don Miller. Of course, his book did really well. His services have done really well. A lot of websites. The challenge, like with all websites, you start to see that formula all over the place, but it's good. You can always tell a StoryBrand site. Are you in agreement with that whole methodology or how would you adjust? I think you have your own flavor of that, don't you?
1: I do have my own flavor on this. And now let me tell you, I remember reading Don Miller's book years ago and I just thought it was brilliant. I think the entire thesis and philosophy of what he has put out into the world has really changed the game for marketing. And so I just want to state that first of all, because I think that while I am not a storyteller, I'm a bit of an anti-storyteller and I'll tell you why, I think what we need to understand is that storytelling does have its place. The idea of making the customer the hero or at the heart of your story is the most important thing that you can do. And I believe in that fully, and that's what I teach through my method, which is called the brain trifecta. But the difference is I'm teaching you to not lead with a story. I'm teaching you to lead with a one, two, three punch of statements that is not in story format, that is very specifically a formula of exactly what somebody needs to know to then want to hear the stories and go deeper. The problem is we have taken this word storytelling and turned it into whatever we want. We've lost the essence of what Don was really talking about. I'm really a believer that you need to have a formulaic approach in that first 15 to 30 seconds. Now, for example, if I walked into a room with you, Michael, and you asked me what I did and I just went into some story, I know that your eyes would be glazed over and I've lost you, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying that the story doesn't matter, but this is about order of operations. Story belongs on your about page. Story belongs on your how it works page. Story belongs in your testimonials, your blogs, your white papers, your case studies, maybe resources section but does it belong in the first 15 to 30 seconds of your pitch? No. And that's the difference. We've got to lead with enough to provoke and compel that person to want to go into the next step and then hear the story.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. When we get in and we start talking about us, people know in 30 seconds, one minute, whether you're of interest to me or not. And we're so self-absorbed as a society (laughs) that I'm looking at you and going, are you of any value to me? Do I really want to spend the time on this? Because there's only so much time. It's kind of like I told the boys, you know, when they were younger and same with the girls. I said, if you're out dating or you're out in a bar scene and not the best place to go meet people, you want to start conversations. Always start with a conversation. But I will tell you, as you're talking to either a male or a female, in five minutes, they know whether you're a potential dating candidate or not and have made their mind up So make your move. So if you're going to ask them out in five minutes, don't spend all evening buying beverages for them. You're going to go broke by the end of the night and just have a drinking buddy.
1: Do you know what's so funny? And I'll share this on a personal note. So I'm remarried in the last year. I have four little kids under the age of eight. And it's just chaos in my house, right? After five o'clock, as it always is, as it always is with young kids. But I tell you what, when I met my husband, we met on Bumble, the app of all things. (laughs) And within five minutes, he's let's get on a phone call. I'm like, okay, great. So we get on a phone call and I knew we had a five hour phone conversation and I knew I was going to marry him.
0: Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I I'm totally so get it.
1: Done. In the first yeah. two weeks we covered, tell me about your debt. Tell me about what you did wrong in your first marriage. How much Have you paid? ever served
0: time? Yeah. More. What's
1: your investment philosophy? No. But I think the thing is that people intrinsically know so quickly whether they're right. bought in and what we're trying to do with this method of the branch trifecta is help people disseminate and almost help them stand apart from the competition here, because by having a crystal clear message, you will see a higher conversion rate of your prospects. And that's really what this is about.
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. I think in our processes, we tend to make things longer. Like if we have long sales cycles, people say we need to think about it. It's probably our process that's causing us some grief and some problems. Yeah. Most of those decisions, as you know, and I'm sure we agree on this, is are emotional first and then justified with logic second and reason. So when we meet somebody, we know right away, we judge books by their cover. So how you show up is going to be important. And that chemistry, it's like when you were talking, with your husband on the phone for five hours, it was probably, you know, time you got done. It's like, you could have known him for 25 years and you had the same feeling and the same level of trust and whatever. But that's because something was triggered, right? You triggered it on a personal level that you didn't logically, it makes no sense whatsoever. And, you know, if we said, what do you mean? You came home and you told your folks, Hey, I'm marrying this guy. just got off the phone with him, or, you know, they'd go, you're nuts. But when we put in time, people think that time, but really nothing changed. You were hooked right from day one, right?
1: Because we all crave to be understood. Yeah.
0: Talk about that. Cause I know that's a big thing for you. We want to try and activate the, I get you moment. I get right. you. And I understand you, which we want to demonstrate that in our messaging on our websites and our emails where, Hey, we know you, we understand you. I get you yes. expand on that one. Unpack that.
1: Great. So Where this comes into play the most is if you have a great tagline that says what you do. So for example, I'm a tax company and my tagline is making compliance effortless because I serve small businesses and tax is an issue, right? Now, what I follow that up with is my value proposition statement. Now, here's the structure of a value prop that gets the you get me moment that you want. It's two sentences. The first sentence is what we call a pain statement followed by a call to action statement. The pain statement is imagine I'm sitting in the room with Bob and I say, Bob, the reality is, blank. Bob, the reality is tax is a major priority for your business, but it doesn't need to be a major part of your day. And Bob is sitting there and he's my ideal target audience. And he goes, oh, my God, thank you. I am in tax hell over here. So Bob's that's great, but that's not enough. So the second and final part of your value prop that really ties a bow on this is the call mm-hmm. to action, where I tell Bob what to do. And I say, therefore, Bob, protect your credibility, relationships, and profits with worry-free tax consulting services. So listen how I said making compliance effortless doesn't have to be a major part of your day. Worry free. That right there in only three sentences gets Bob to go. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I love the formula. You know, in my first book, Becoming Preferred. And what's interesting is when the formula for becoming preferred, and this is from 20 years ago, before we had all what we think about, was we need to identify the stress of our market better than the competition, remove that stress better, make it go away through our messaging, right? And connect in a meaningful way. And we have over 19 channels, as you know, of connection that we have in five generations in the marketplace. So all of those things. So we want to identify, remove, and connect. And that formula is still holding true today. 20 years later, we're still talking about it.
1: You know, it's so true. And Michael, I think one of the things that's fascinating is somebody asked me, did you come up with a new psychology for No, stop it. Hold on. This is just human psychology. So I'm never right. going to claim to be a psychologist. I'm not going to claim to be a neuroscientist. I've actually studied and talked with neuroscientists and psychologists to prove out this formula. Absolutely. And I've worked with tons of consultants and asked for all of their feedback before I even wrote the book. The process just holds true based on decision-making science. It's really what it is. At the end of the day, this is about how humans make decisions. We make decisions based on emotion first, like you talked about, and then logic to back up that emotion. And as long as we understand that, it really puts us in our positions as an organization, as brands, to not sell from being like a signy salesperson, but to actually sell from a place of integrity and authenticity and from a place of understanding where our prospects are coming from. I think ultimately that's what we want is to get somebody to the table and have that really rich, meaningful dialogue. That's the yeah. purpose.
0: No, that makes sense. We talked about, there's five generations of buyers Like we said. Yeah. I'm on the baby boomer side all the way down to, I can't remember what, Gen X or Gen Y, or we got millennials. We got every, what you're a millennial. Kids. You're a millennial. Yeah. and. Does the messaging need to change for each one of those? So think of, let's say your target, and I know you believe in focusing on an ideal market or an ideal avatar of customer, but sometimes that can cross multiple generations, so let's say it could be an iPhone or a device, or it could be a piece of software and it goes for all generations. Like I have some products that really cross all demographic lines. Does the messaging formula work the trifecta, if you will, for all of those generations?
1: Yeah, it does. But let me explain to a deeper level, if I could, how yeah, that, that works. Please, yeah. Okay. You know what? One of the most common ones is, because what, what we're talking about is dissemination of our target audiences. So when right. we talk about generations of buyers, what we're really getting at is the demographics and psychographics of a particular target audience. So I think what we need to remember is that defining your ideal target audience has to be more than just saying, I go for a 25 to 35-year-old male who lives in Boston. Huh? Who cares? Who is this person? Where do they shop? Where do they live? What is driving them? Is this an ego play? Do they care about being fat? Do they care about winning? Do they care about altruism? Do they care about empathy? What is the human psychographic components that make up who this ideal buyer is? Once we understand who that ideal buyer is, we have to do the work of actually assessing, okay, based on that though, what is the deepest level heart pain I solve for that ideal buyer? We have heart to do pain, bit of root a root cause analysis. Yeah. And it's only then that we understand, is it just revenue that I solve for? Is it just profit? Is it just bottom line? Or am I solving because this visionary entrepreneur wants to change the world? I actually discovered that for my own business. Fascinating. I think the point is here, we have to do that work before we determine then if and how the message needs to change. Where that can come into play is if you find that the bottom line heart pain that you solve for your 50 year old is the same as your 25-year-old great. You can build one single brand trifecta message that lives front and center on your homepage.
0: Crossover is perfect. It works. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Now, if you find that the 55-year-old cares about protecting and like risk aversion, whereas the 25-year-old cares about winning and high risk, high reward, there's when you might need to create a supporting brand trifecta on a separate page for that particular audience.
0: Okay. So that's where you would depart and go. So look for the common ground, whether they share in common, whether it's security or you could potentially even do it within your wording, within the same sentence, we could actually go, whether you're retiring on the thing or just starting your career, this becomes a, so there's opportunities, but the key is to pay attention to it and do it on purpose, not out of neglect. Or, hey, we didn't know we shouldn't be doing that. So That's it's right. really putting some planning to it, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. And I think it also brings into this really important question, because when I see brands that they say, we've got 10 ideal customers, I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? 10, 10 buyer personas? Let's talk about that for a second. Even if you have three, I want you to challenge yourself, because the question is, are you following this principle of the 70%? When you think about the pie of where your revenue is coming from, great brands do not speak to everybody great brands speak to the one or two or maybe three audiences where you think the majority of your revenue is going to come from with a full acknowledgement that you can have what we call those beautiful outlier buyers, right? They find you, they love you, but are you going to actively market to them? Not necessarily, not until the demand is there and not until your marketing budget is there. So we want to think about that as well, before we get so worried about creating this complex set of messaging that might not even be.
0: Yeah. Now, let's say you have three or four different businesses, like, for example, and we'll talk about the businesses here in a minute, but we have three or four different companies. So like my speaking business, it's more for keynoting, presenting it, just like you at corporate events. And so th- those industries, we have over 60 different industries, so yeah. it, it gets impossible sometimes. So we created reference sheets and they're based on the vertical. So if they want testimonials, they all come from the vertical. Sure particular. If we're looking at our digital solutions, it's a younger group. It's a younger marketing teams because the older folks, they don't even want to figure it out. They're still wondering what happened to newspapers and magazines as far as the digital goes. So from a business point of view, let's say you own your own business and we have a lot of entrepreneurs and people. You're in the sales industry, whether you like it or not. What's your advice to the salespeople who don't want to come across as too salesy?
1: I think it's about really taking a step back and remembering that this is about how you authentically show up in the world. That's what brand is. It's about the promise of what you do and the experience that you can provide to somebody. And if you really believe in that and you really own that and you're excited about that, it's why you're wanting to change the world as an entrepreneur, then your brand pitch is kind of your recipe for success to not feel like you have to do slimy sales. It's really the key that you put into the door that opens up that rich dialogue. It's about knowing the one, two, three punch of what you say in the first 15 to 30 seconds. Keep it simple. Do not overcomplicate this. Who said you have to go after everybody? Who said you had to serve everybody? You're not in the business of convincing. You're in the business of converting. And it's not our jobs. I'm sorry. It's not our jobs to get everybody to buy from us. And I think it's the biggest misconception that most of us as entrepreneurs face. So it's about recognizing that actually my business success depends on my ability to niche in and do such a good job serving this group of people that over time the demand builds and the revenue's there and I can go after that group, but not until it's ready.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Smaller the niche, bigger the market. Who makes more money, the dentist or the orthodontist, right? And who does the marketing for the orthodontist? So how do we get the market to become the marketers, right? Can I give an
1: example of this, by the way, if you did this brilliantly?
0: Yeah, sure, please.
1: If you rewind to 2004, my freshman year of college at the University of Minnesota, we got an email saying, congratulations, the University of Minnesota has been chosen to get onto Facebook, and you must use your .edu email. You had to have a .edu email. Much to my dismay, two years later, because the demand was there, my mother joined Facebook, and my life was over. Ruins yeah, wow. it ruins everything. It's creeping
0: your page and your... Then you're... the
1: age range went down from <laughs> 18 to 16. Do you remember that? Then it went from yeah. 16 to 14 and everybody had a hoopla. So brought back up. Here's the thing. Facebook was brilliant about recognizing that they weren't going to make specific moves until there was market demand. And I'm talking about the same thing. Whether you are a solo entrepreneur, who wait for the demand to start to build, expand that brand message. Otherwise, keep your brand message narrow and do a really good job of serving that particular group that loves you and is going to get the most value out of what you do.
0: No, that makes sense. And I'm not a social media fan. It's a chore <laughs> and it's a necessary evil and we get it. We're there, but thank goodness we have people who love it, who enjoy mm-hmm. it. In chapter two of your book, you talk about your dad as an entrepreneur and a network, which is cool. I love the personal story and obviously good advice. What did you learn from his business style?
1: Well, I share the story about how my dad would drive around town and my mother and my sister and I had to sit in the backseat of the car or our way to church. Because nobody touched the passenger side in the front because what belonged there were three separate three inch binders filled with business cards. It was his Rolodex and he took it everywhere. And even I have very vivid memories from when I was two years old, standing, looking up at my dad's desk and he had seven Rolodexes, old school Rolodexes lined up across the front of his desk. And I asked him what that was. And he said, Katie, that's my business. And it was really interesting because what I learned from my father is that people are your most incredible and important asset whether they're employees, but more importantly, your customers, your partners, your prospects. And we have to treat them with the highest level of integrity, the highest level of respect, and the highest level of authenticity to really allow them to come to the table and share where they're at as well.
0: Yeah, good point. No, and it's a good chapter and lots of details. In your book, you do go through a lot of things on how to actually implement, expand your brand, start that whole conversation. So people can get the information. We'll really encourage them to get the book because you get a lot of good details there. Finish this sentence. A business without a brand is blank.
1: That's a great question. A business without a brand is just a set of processes and procedures.
0: Ooh, I love it. Good one. That's a good one. There's a new. There's a new line in there somewhere. So we
1: should trademark that. number. No, I think so. Yeah. It's already. Done.
0: I've already got the hash one. So how do you know as a business when it's time to rebrand, and how often should that take place, or at least the exercise of looking at that?
1: Oh, it's a great question. Okay, so by the way, most of the time, I would say 95% of the time, you're not dealing with what we call a full rebrand. I've actually done only two rebrands in the last 10 years, and that was actually in a merger acquisition situation. Right. We had a full name change. We had situations here. Most of the time, what we're talking about is the quarter turn of your brand. Like, How do I tighten the bolt here to really dial things in? That's actually what we're talking about. Symptoms to know when and you're right for this. I'm struggling to get prospects to the table, Kate. Gosh, the people that I am talking to or that are coming in are not qualified. They're not even good leads. They're not even good prospects. Oh my gosh, my sales cycle time is just terrible and it keeps getting longer and longer. Kate, I'm getting through three meetings and people are dropping. I have people with a proposal and they're dropping. All of these are signals that something might be off with your messaging. And that's where going through a brand exercise could be really.
0: It's interesting with the brand exercise. I remember going through it years ago when I was 35, we created what we call my coaches and consultants at the time where we created what we call brand character. And so we designed the brand experience. So one of the things we talk about is leveling up the brand experience, look at your touch points. And I'll ask companies within an organization, audiences, I'll say, how many touch points do you have? And they go, don't know. And I'm going wrong answer. You should all have the same answer. We have 18, we have 27, we have 13, whatever it is. And they should know what it is, that touch point map. And then how do we level it up at every point? Or if we neglect it, we neglect it on purpose, right? So my brand character, we looked at style with the dress. So I was 35 and my brand character was a 40 year old mm-hmm. and kind of a uh, edgy a little bit. wore black, kind of like Johnny Cash or wore black cashmere and knit shirts and black rope Harley. So all yes. my photos were with the motorcycle. And so it had an edge to it. That was our brand character. I've stayed with the black just because hey, I like wearing it. It's slimming. I spill on myself constantly and you can't tell. You're
1: always going to look great in black and nobody's going to notice the three cups of espresso you spill. Exactly. Right? And
0: an airplane <laughs> and the wine you spilled on yourself or whatever. Oh, God. So Yeah, exactly. So how important is brand character today? Is that still relevant today as far as the overall brand experience and what companies should be striving for?
1: Absolutely. And it may not be down to what clothes you wear in a photo shoot. But what I do is I give people an exercise in the book, which is if your brand were a person, who would it be? And I want them to think of a celebrity or public figure. And the purpose of that exercise is not just to think about the personality traits of that individual, but to think about how the brand sounds. Probably the most important thing that shapes the rest of your brand in terms of color selection, photography selection, design, actually stems from the brand persona. So for example... If I were to write an Oprah brand, that's pretty bold. That's very colorful. It's got exclamation points. It's short. Boom, 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 dun, 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 dun. If it were a Ryan Reynolds brand, it'd be yeah. more subdued. And he'd have maybe like an emoji at the end. There's a lot of stuff here about the nuances that's of fun, language yeah. structure and the way that actually shapes the rest of your brand personality. And it comes back to who are you? If your brand were a person, who would it be? So it's a fun exercise that anybody can do and think about how does that person sound?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. You could ask them if you were a food, if you were a restaurant, if you were a car, what kind of car? Would you be an SUV? Would you be a truck? Would you be heavy duty? Would you be light truck? And that all goes to the personality. And I know you're going to do a lot of detail in your work. Last question for you, then you're not really into the fluff when it comes to business conversations. Do customers really want to get right down to business, though, at the heart of things?
1: Oh, yeah. I think if you go back to what we just talked about 15 minutes ago, which is I know in the first five minutes whether I want to continue you know the conversation. That. Let's go back to that. Right. You do not need to talk about numbers necessarily in the first five minutes, but let's talk about what brass tax really means. The brass tax in the first 30 seconds is tell me what you do, tell me how you solve my problem, tell me how you're different. If then I am bought in, then I want to go into the how it works information, what does it look like, the features, the benefits, the pricing, the case studies, the blogs, the stories, everything else that you can bring to the table, whether that's and your digital footprint or in the course of a conversation. But yeah, consumers want to get to the point and they want to do it in a way that does not feel salesy, but that feels incredibly authentic.
0: Absolutely. Let's finish with this. Let's talk about your brand and your tagline. So how does it start above the fold for you and what's your tagline? What do you do and how do we yeah. do that?
1: So on my consulting website, and I have a second brand that I'm building right now, but the consulting site says building brands that win more work.
0: And business is a conversation. That's right. Not a transaction, which I love. I think that's the name of the game. Speaking of which, tell us about the work coming up. I know you're working on something pretty exciting.
1: Very exciting. There was a gap that I've recognized over the last number of years consulting, which was to have a more of a SaaS product that enabled more companies at a better price point to go through my practicum and come out the other end with their brand written. And so I have spent the last year and a half building this thing, and I'm really excited. It's really a SaaS branding program that takes people through the brand trifecta model And they're able to come out the other end with every piece of their core messaging written for their sales and marketing initiatives.
0: Oh, awesome. Hey, this has been really fun, Kate. Kate Delio, and we'll have all your contact information on the website where people can find you. The book is called Muting the Megaphone. Where's the best place to find that?
1: Amazon.com, or you can certainly check out my website.
0: Yeah, great website too. Lots of good information and (laughs) feel free to reach out to Kate. And again, we'll have all of that published in the show notes. Hey, Kate, real pleasure. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Michael.
0: This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media.
1: Goodbye.